right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Impact Real Estate Podcast brought to you by Jackson Lucas Executive Search. Hope you all well today. Uh, today we had a great recording with Paul Rabinovich. Paul is the principal and head of real estate investment at New Island Capital Management, which is a family office. Um, and he runs the real estate investment strategy focused on impact investing, which is very, it's great that the family has a double bottom line um, in their investing and he runs that strategy for them. He has a long career in real estate. Um, originally from Canada, grew up in the Philadelphia area. His mother actually was a woman many years ago who was a real estate developer in the family, which I find unusual. And it's great to, to hear about those stories. Um, he's got a very interesting story. He's got a lot of great tips for everyone. Um, so please take a listen. And as always, please rate and review and follow the podcast. Thank you. Hey, Paul, how you doing today? Hey, Chris. Great to see you. Great to see you, too. I like that cane behind you. What is that? Two buses? Very good. You're the only one who's ever gotten that right. Two buses coming out of a tunnel. I love it. Did you yeah. paint that? No, sir. Oh. I, I uh, reclaimed it from someone who's moving out of their house and didn't have wall space. I love <laughs> then, it. It's, it's good colors, too. Yeah, it's the Ukrainian flag. It's my political statement. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Is that what it's saying there, the buses? Is there anything political with the buses? Yeah, it might be. There might be a message there to Russia within the, on the bus. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I can't see that that close. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. So you're the principal and the head of real estate investment at New Island Capital Management. Congratulations. That's a yeah. good title. That's a good title. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've had the seat for a few years now, so it, getting used to it. <laughs> um, and so you're, I, we met at, uh, I mean, we've been speaking for years and then I saw you most recently at uh, the ULI event down in San Diego. What was that? Was it June? May? I forget when that was. I think so. Time flies. I think that's right. I think it was May. Yeah. And um, you had, I remember you were in the Bay Area. In San Francisco, and then you moved to the other coast. Uh, and now you're in Florida still. That's right, South Florida, with lots of other Californians and New Yorkers who've decided to make that move. <laughs> yeah, it's very popular. Uh, I saw that Citadel just made a move down there um, out from Chicago to South Florida somewhere. We've about 300 employees down there. So, how's the uh, how's it just living there now? Is it is it is it great? I mean, do you love it or? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been a great move. Uh, the quality of life here is fantastic. Uh, the cost of living is much lower than living in Northern California. And, uh, you know, being someone who was uh, spent a big chunk of my life on the East Coast, it's, it's very familiar, you know, surrounded by folks from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, yeah, lots of, you know, I, I could I can make jokes about Seinfeld here and people get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, they're speaking your language. Um, so we'll get into your, your history, but can you tell us about uh, New Island uh, Capital Management, please? Yeah, New Island Capital Management uh, was formed almost a couple decades ago, and we are an investment advisor for an American uh, single-family office. They're ultra-high net worth family. Mm. 
who uh, really formed the company uh, in order to invest in alignment with their values. So a very, very early impact investment shop uh, before that name yeah, really had any popular. Resume. That's a very popular name now. Yeah, now it's now it's 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 common, but uh, back then it was it was new. And the the idea then was, how do we use our capital, the, the wealth of this family, to create uh, more more positive outcomes uh, in the world and in uh, in our communities? And that was the basis of forming New Island Capital. And uh, besides my team, which is the real estate team, we also have a private credit team, a private equity team. Real assets, which invests in farms, forests, oh, that's cool. and uh, environmental mitigation and uh, environmental systems, and then a liquidity team, the public markets team. So, so uh, the- fully featured, hundred percent impact investing shop. Probably one of the few in the country that really operates at a at a large scale. Uh, in terms of yeah, you got everything covered. Activity. That's awesome. And so, how did you? So on the other side, so on the real estate side, I mean, do you guys overlap at all with all the other investment strategies? Yeah, yeah, we do. So uh, a recent example was there's um, a very large uh, farm that we own in the Pacific Northwest that has a few dilapidated structures on it. And the farm team asked the real estate team to come on board and think through how do we deliver um more more socially conscious housing opportunities on the farm for for farm workers creating affordable housing but also doing it in a way that's very sensitive to the property and uh, highly sustainable so that's one one example a simple one a more complex one is we look at uh investing in in real estate operating companies as platform investments not just investing in projects directly but also investing directly in in operating companies. And in those cases, we work with our, uh, our private equity team. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. How do you underwrite? Well, let's go back to like, did you ever think you'd be working on like farm real estate? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a little bit full circle for me. Uh, I think, you know, I, I started my career as a director at the nature conservancy and that's so right. Yeah. I really learned a lot about real estate by negotiating, uh, transactions that would go to conservation, but I negotiated to buy farmland, forests, wetlands, even underwater land. Uh, I'm one of the largest purchasers of underwater land in the country, which you know, <laughs> I might be able to sell you a bridge someday too, but I, yeah. I did purchase 15,000 acres of underwater mud <laughs> at the bottom of the Great South Bay. Uh, how, do you, so- uh, how do you underwrite mud? Well, that was that was for the Nature Conservancy, yeah, yeah. and it was uh, it was based on its productivity for a scallop. It was the Blue Point Oyster Company oh, is wow. what we purchased. So, if you've ever enjoyed a Blue Point Oyster, uh, um, you may know that they had to leave Long Island's waters to go north to get into better waters. We purchased their old their old patent, basically went all the way back to King George. So that we could restore the shellfishery there. So oh, wow, yeah, it was it was uh it wasn't worth very much. There weren't very many oysters left in there, and those that were there, I, I ate them before we. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, how do and so underwriting yeah prop or operating companies opcos is sounds pretty fascinating. Is that something you? I mean, how do you do that when you're? I mean, underwriting a property. 
seems kind of straightforward, I guess. But like, how do you do like an operating company? How does how do you look at that? Yeah, it's a that's a great question. It's it's basically based on trying to determine what their reoccurring revenue is and whether that uh, that revenue source, which would be you know their management, fee, their asset management fees, property management fees, development fees, all those all those fee streams that come into the company, whether they're predictable and stable, and then and then ass- assessing a value to that. So you really need to uh, underwrite the leadership of the company and make sure that you're in alignment with the leaders first of all, and second of all, that they're all solid. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to be leaving the company anytime soon. Um, and then understanding their pipeline, what they have in their portfolio and their pipeline of development so that you can make reasonable assumptions about future growth of the company. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and so I remember that you, so you're back on the East coast, you're on the West coast. So yeah, tell us about, can you tell us about your growing up, your interest in real estate, where'd that come from? Um, and then we can kind of work our way through your, your history and take us back to present day. Yeah. Well, I learned real estate from literally from the ground up. Um, my, uh, I'm originally, I'm Canadian mm-hmm. and, uh, was, uh, went through middle school, um, living in Montreal. And then we moved when I was in high school to Philadelphia. My mom as an architect decided that she wasn't going to get relicensed in the state and just decided to become a, a developer. And at first she was, uh, she's, she just started flipping properties, townhouses, you know, Philadelphia style row homes. Yeah. Buying them. Like Rocky. Like Rocky. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, For for the Philadelphia listeners out there, we were, you know, we were in Maniunk and we were in East Falls and Germantown buying these, these, uh, these single families, you know, single townhouses. And she grew the company from there. And I learned the business from her along the way, you know, where, managing townhouses, doing, doing kitchen rehabs, bathroom rehabs. And then as the company grew, I became, you know, I was on the construction crews through high school, working on larger and larger projects and understanding the trades and how it works on a job site. And uh, then um, became, was a partner in the company and worked on uh, Brownfields redevelopment and then into the capital markets, financing larger and larger projects and working on the performers and so forth. So really uh, from the ground up kind of a, kind of a a education. I I did learn from your mom. I did go and get a graduate degree along the way, but I like (laughs) to give mom all the credit. She taught me the important stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, yeah, once you kind of learn how to do the systems at a smaller level, you can kind of expand that into a bigger level, right? Um, yeah. And it's pretty unusual for, a, you know, most people learn from their dad, right? Uh, it's kind of a patriarchal, it's not kind of, it is a patriarchal industry um, from yeah. dads to sons and passed down. It's usually how you see it. They're like, wh- how did your mom like, yeah, I mean, did, did, was, you know, I, I wish we could have her in the podcast too. Um was she uh, like, what was it like back? What, uh, this is like the eighties, I guess, or, or. Yeah. Even before then it was in the uh, early eighties and the seventies. Um, it was hard. Uh, I, uh, no lie. It was very hard for her. And I give her all the credit in the world for like trying to break that glass ceiling. And, you know, in, in honor of her, I do everything I possibly can when I'm hiring to, to hire women. You know, I think mm. it's, 
uh, it is, as you said, a, a white male dominated business that we're in and everything we can do as part of, you know, as part of being an impact investor, I think that's important too, is that who we hire also speaks to the diversity we want to see in the world. So um, that's my own personal tribute is, is trying to continue, continue her legacy by giving other women an opportunity to, to grow their careers. But Have for you, her, so, it was very yeah, hard. I mean, that's, that's like the biggest, um, Sorry, I'll just cut you off one second. They, that's the biggest kind of issue we're facing. Well, a lot of issues. One is, is yeah, the diversity component in hiring and real estate. Yeah. Is there something, is there anything that you particularly do as a company um, or initiatives or is it, you just try to make sure that you interview a number of diverse backgrounds? I, you know, I, you're, you're really the expert here. I, I just do our best to cast the widest net and I guess, in all honesty, I I probably give women candidates more latitude than than some of the men candidates. I just want to give them every opportunity to shine and and show us, you know, what they could bring what they could bring to the company. And that I, I don't know any other way to do it, frankly, than you know, I don't. If there was a board or a you know a place that I could post positions where I knew that more women would see it than than men, I I would do that. So, gotcha. I, I, just wide net, really. And I know as a company that you, I mean, you tell us what can you? Yeah, I guess. Sorry, let's go back to your mom. So, your mom took you through that, and then uh, you said it was it was a hard time for. I mean, it's a hard time now, but I can't imagine seventies and eighties, yeah. uh, being a woman. And then, how, so you got you learned about real estate then, but you didn't just go into real estate when you came out of college, right? You you went to school and you were in conservative. You were working for the conservatory. Like, how did how did that work? Like, yeah, where'd that so, come from? Uh, the chrono the chronology is: I I finished my undergraduate in the University of Toronto. And I came back to Philadelphia, worked in our own, worked in the family business for a year. And then I went to Penn and I have a combined urban planning, real estate finance degree from University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Then I took all of that education and, and, and all of, and all of that pricey education and decided to go to the nonprofit world and went immediately mm -hmm. to the nature conservancy. And, uh, you know, I, I guess for, for an emerging real estate professional. I learned a lot there, you know, in what my experience was, is that being somebody, even being on the younger side, I was given an amazing amount of latitude at the Nature Conservancy, millions and millions of dollars in an acquisition budget to go and negotiate land. And honestly, if I had just gone like the regular corporate route and like gone to work for somebody, I would have been, you know, in a little narrow area being an analyst and not given as much freedom as I was given to figure out how to negotiate deals and do some of the legal work and all that sort of stuff. So it, it was a great experience. Yeah. And you were there for a long time. I mean, so you were in that world, uh, the nonprofit world. Right. And then you came back to, yeah, to real, I mean, you were doing real estate there, but like, like what, what was Why the transition? Like, I guess what's the biggest difference between like a nonprofit and a for-profit, I guess working for a nonprofit must have influenced your, you know, the impact investing that you're doing now yeah it definitely uh i mean i i went into the not-profit world because i have this this strong compass to to try to produce you know 
a better world. And that's, that's just a big motivation of, of mine personally. And uh, what I found, what I found there and, you know, what I think it was a great learning experience was that when you're a not-for-profit, you have a limited amount of capital. And so you think hard about where you're going to put your energy, what strategies you're going to use, because everything has to scale. You know, you need to think about how do I scale this so that I make the most impact with the least amount of money. And that's to an extent what I still use to this day. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I found, though, you know, working at the Nature Conservancy was that no matter how well the Nature Conservancy did or any other not for profit or all of them together, we weren't going to solve the problems of, you know, the extinction crisis, climate change, all of these massive problems. It was just there's just not enough in the not for profit world to solve those problems. And it came down to this is a realization many years ago. It had to be more market based solutions. And I said, well, I don't see that. I have those skills. I don't see that kind of expertise doing anything like impact investing mm. uh, in real estate on the for-profit side. Why don't I go, why don't I go do that? And that's when I started my own company and started redeveloping brownfields, building green buildings and developing affordable housing. That's awesome. And so, how, I mean, how did you do that? How did you start your own company and do that? Like, when you do a brownfield, I remember looking after college, undergrad, I was looking into graduate school degrees and I was going to go for like an urban planning degree at, at Rutgers at the Blaustein school. I remember one of their th majors like, like Brownfields and it looked, it sounded really amazing, but like what, what goes into redeveloping a Brown, a Brownfield? Well, you know, the, the first thing that goes into it is just your, your most basic real estate uh, rule of thumb, which is location. You know, so, you know, we have, a we have a society uh that has an industrial history and so much of our industrial history was built up along rivers you know and uh almost all of those are now polluted right and so but they become you know because we've gone through the industrial re revolution those those water view pieces of property or other pieces of property in terrific locations can have you know a terrific new future if you can figure out your way first of all so first of all you have to identify the right location mm. <laughs> there's lots and lots of also contaminated properties that are in the middle of nowhere that might be decades before sort of the urban growth boundary gets there and you know makes them makes them viable so the first thing is figure out the right location the second thing is to have awesome engineers uh, so that you can underwrite, well, you know, this, what the, what the land is worth, what it could be worth and how much it'll cost to clean up. Mm. And so what I became an expert in is working with engineers and insurance companies mm. in figuring out how to mitigate the risk of buying something that was toxic, but, but fixable. Mm. There's, there's lots of nuances to it, you know, types of, uh, to, not to get too far into the weeds, but you want to try to find properties that are polluted with heavy pollutants that you could pick up and take away, not liquid, you know, oily things that you're chasing all over the place. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that becomes a recipe for disaster pretty quickly. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then, so you, what type of affordable stuff are you doing more tax credit deals or. Yeah, I've done uh, low income housing tax credit deals. I've done section eight housing. I've purchased uh, and preserved existing light tech buildings, uh, taken them through another cycle. 
all of those oh, wow. types of deals. Yeah. So you're doing that your own for a while, for for a long time, actually. Yeah, um, just doing that for about a decade. Wow. And that where were you based? Where were you living then? Philly? Um, that was I was living in northern New Jersey, Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, and working on projects yeah. in Philadelphia, in northern New Jersey, including uh, Newark and the Oranges, in New York, Long Island, and also way up in uh, in Massachusetts, did projects all over. Um, that's awesome. And then, yeah, so you did that for a while and you just decided to go internally somewhere. Um, well, you know, this is, this is one of those, one of those, uh, situations in life where I had an opportunity to sell a big chunk of our, our portfolio and we, we sold it and we had this, this great exit. And my wife, um, who had spent all of her, um, college years in California was sort uh, of like anxious. So like, I, I'm done with New Jersey. Can we go live in California now? You said we could, I get the next choice. Hmm. So that, that was, that was the time frame to do it. Right. We, so I, uh, we decided to leave, uh, New Jersey. We moved to San Francisco and I got a position, uh, raising a fund. It's actually a pair of funds. One for single, fa uh, highly sustainable single family homes, and oh, wow. the other for uh, mobile home park investing. So, oh, so cool. Uh, the, the single family sustainable homes was more on the luxury side. And obviously, mobile home parks or manufactured uh, housing parks is more on the, the lower income side. So it's a little bit of a, a barbell uh, yeah. of housing types there, but uh, successfully raised those funds. Uh, roughly 50, $60 million of, of equity and deployed them. And then towards the end of that, uh, towards the end of that, I was contacted by New Island Capital and hmm. offered the position I'm in now. That's awesome. And so New Island, um, New Island is, is a, you said it's a single family office. I mean, that's, it's so great to see a, a you know, single family office like that, like, really motivated by giving back. Um, yeah. And so on the real estate side, like what, can you give us some examples of some of the things you do? Sure. Um, we have a pretty large investment and interest in continuing in um, highly sustainable real estate. Um, and by that, I mean properties that are built with the lowest carbon footprint possible, mm -hmm. as well as the lowest energy operating budget possible. So if you've read about or know about net zero energy type buildings, that's the kind of buildings that we're seeking to develop. So we have uh, uh, a couple of office buildings that we've built in that of that type. We're in the midst of building an apartment building that will be net zero energy as well. And we're developing single family for rent on a net zero platform as well. So all of these all of these assets are really um, developed to have the tightest building envelope possible. So they're very thrifty of the energy within them. They don't leak, and usually they have uh, solar panels all over them, or geotherm as well as geothermal and other other attributes like that, so that they're they're um, as uh, energy efficient as possible and are high you, performance as possible. Are you partnering with? like on the ground developers and, and yeah. investors like, yeah, you're more like LP, yeah. you're doing more LP capital for these projects. Um, 
Well, we're first of all, we're just investors. Uh, I was told when I was hired to New Island Capital that I had to take my developer developer hat off. I wasn't allowed to develop property. I mm. could only evaluate developers. So all of these projects that I'm describing are in joint ventures with developers. We are typically the majority of, of equity in a deal and have control. Sometimes there's other LPs who, who join with us, sometimes not. I mean, to be, to be very honest with you, it's, there are not that many other investors like us um, who I can partner with. I would, I would do more, <laughs> I yeah. would do more co-investing if I knew that there were other investors who were totally aligned with, who want the same outcomes, you know, we're as what's called triple bottom line return. We're looking for triple bottom line returns. And so if I brought in a partner, an investment partner, I have to know that they are looking at the same bottom line as I am and wouldn't be apt to say, well, forget about the solar panels. That's not important to us because we want to get to a certain IRR, right? Like, we need both. Yeah, yeah. How we underwrite every deal, and we're pretty, we're pretty dead serious about it too. <laughs> how are you sourcing your partners out there? Like, what do you look for in the people that you're investing with? We look for, um, we look for track record. Uh, we look for so they need to have some demonstrated experience in building something that's either highly sustainable or affordable or community oriented. Um, uh, we look. We're we're usually in at least a 10 million dollar minimum equity investment so there there are a lot of and i uh there are a lot of very impactful developers in this country who are working at let's just let's just say 10 million above is institutional scale there mm -hmm. are a lot who are in the three to five million or under three million of, of, yeah. of equity and they're very talented and they're doing amazing work but for us it just doesn't, it's just impossible to underwrite deals that are that small. So there is a bit of a self-selection of who are the developers who have a track record, have that alignment and can uh, manage equity checks that are on the larger size. They, they have to have, you know, a certain, certain office competency and, and you know, reporting standards and yeah. all those sorts of things that are ready for investors like us. And you're, these are, you're kind of agnostic regarding geography. Well, not, not really. Uh, we would probably un, unlike a lot of other investors, we would not invest in, in geographies that are, we deem to be environmentally. Well, let me say it differently. We want to invest in environmentally resilient geographies. Um, so we, we take a hard look at whether what the drought situation might be, the fire situation, the flood situation, um, any of those kind of criterias where global climate change might disrupt your investment mm -hmm. perspective for, for an investor who's looking at a long-term hold, like most of our investments were thinking 10, 15, 20 year holds at least, yeah. um, we can't, we don't want to expose our client to, to those environmental risks and they don't want to be there either. So even though I live here in South Florida, it's probably never going to be a place that I get to do, make an investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you have any like politically uh, motivated investments too? anything along those lines? No. no. Um, I'm just curious how like all these new Roe versus Wade is going to affect some investments. And I just saw today that like Cushman and Wakefield is 
like the first big company stepping up on the real estate side to like fly people huh. to different states in order if they need an abortion. Wow. Which I found pretty interesting. Well, it's also like, you know, healthcare wise too. It's like, if you're going to get a, if you're going to get one anyways, like they want their employees to be, do it in a safe way. That's, yeah. you know, they don't want sick employees to, it just makes uh, right. monetary sense as well. Um, that's awesome. Man. So where do you see, I guess like how you, it, the firm's based in San Francisco, the Bay area. Our, our office is in, uh, right. Downtown San Francisco in financial district. Yeah. Have you guys been remote for since for a while? I mean, you're remote since you're in Florida, but have you, uh, have you guys uh, adapted to like when COVID started any of that type of stuff? The company was remote for about a year. And then, uh, most of our team is back in the office at least, at least four days a week now in, in person. Gotcha. Yeah. And where do you see yourself, the firm growing over the next couple of years? Well, that's not, that's a terrific question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, just continuing all of our work in, in, in sustainability and uh, low carbon future, you know, I think uh, we'll continue to make investments out of the real estate portfolio as well as private equity and uh, low carbon buildings, as well as, you know, the future of transportation, thinking about electric vehicles and how do we invest into that area, whether it's charging stations or whether, you know, or the, the car technologies themselves or battery technologies, those are all areas that we're working, that we're working to think through. We're looking at carbon capture uh, machines and technology and investing in those kind of companies and those kind of technologies. So that's one area that's that we're continuing to lean into. Uh, we also invest quite. We we, as I said earlier, we have a team that's focused on farms and forests, but we're also really interested in the, the whole food cycle and making sure that our our food supplies are are safe, secure, resilient, and organic. So wow, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity to invest. Um, in in those supply chains and in in the and our food sources as well what about water any you got anything going on with water water investments um, we we don't uh have a direct water investment there are a few water funds out there that you know invest in i i that invest in various types of mitigation banking and water banking water rights banking and things like that we haven't been a player in that but um, that's probably something we'll be looking at in the future. Yeah. yeah I just think that's fascinating. And yeah, I, yeah, I used to work the, the firm next to where I was working. The next office was, I think it was a water capital management or something like that. And they invested in water rights. And that was the first time I ever heard of it. I was like, that is, I'm like, wait, that's wait a minute. Water is an issue. Holy shit. We better get on. We better start looking at this. Yeah. Um, people sure. are actually making investments into it. Um, that's awesome, man. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us here. Are you ready now for the hot seat? I suppose. All right. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. 
They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple of days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Yeah, is, it, is, it, is it hot in Florida? Because it's not really hot in, the, in uh, where I am in San Carlos, California. I'm sure it's, it's hot, hot though. Yeah. It's it's July in, in Florida. Yes, it is and, hot. And sticky. Yeah. Um. All right, cool. Any uh, book or podcast recommendations? You know, my I would I just started rereading one of my favorite books, and there's always something that I learned from uh, Robert Caro's The Power Broker, uh, all about Robert Moses. Do you know that book? I've heard of it, and uh, I was on the Robert Moses Expressway or whatever the other day when I was coming back from the Hamptons, but uh, yeah. I've never read it. It's an amazing read. It's somebody who is probably... Robert Moses was probably the most powerful person in New York for about 50 years, maybe 45 years, was never elected to any, any, any office. And he just amassed power through some really ingenious and, and intelligent ways. And if you want to really understand how the urban geography and how power is, can be managed, uh, that's a, that's a great book to read. You know, I mean, if you if you read about what he did in New York, it's it's astonishing. The parks, <laughs> the bridges, the tunnels, <laughs> the yeah. housing development, and also and also terrible. He he did some terrible things too. You know, so it's, it's great read. I should check it out. You're not you're like, yeah. Your other people have recommended that to me as well. Um, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in the field? Build something. Too many too many people looking to start out in the field are focused on you know co-star and analysis and it's just a bunch of numbers to them mm. and i really recommend getting your hands on a piece of real estate and understanding how it's put together and not just that but maybe when i say build something i mean physically build something but also build it as an investment, understand the people who are going into it and what their lives are like. You know, we, we as in the real estate industry affect people's lives more than I, I, I think any other industry. This is right. where people go to work. This is where people live. This is where you raise your family. Um, and so understanding that and like how your actions as an owner or an investor or developer could influence people's lives, I think is re a really important point of view, perspective to hold. Maybe someone could start out as a, well, own like a small building or, or work for yeah. a builder or work as a even a property manager. Yeah. Um, just seeing how the whole cycle of real estate works. Yep. Exactly. Or work at a conservatory. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great training. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of like, what do you look for? What characteristics do you look for when hiring people? Um, well, in my current role, you know, I, I'm really looking for people who have an, what we call an impact orientation. Like they, they are thinking about some of the things that I just mentioned. They want to, they're driven by 
a desire to do something more than just deliver a financial return. They're thinking hard and can have a have some sort of a vision about how these investments can improve the world. By that having that vision, even if it's just a kernel, um, if they can express it well, that's something that that we look for and that we hire for for sure. That's great. And you, you think, I mean, real estate isn't super complicated, right? Do you, I mean, can you, what do you kind of learn on the, I guess you learn it all on the job, but like what sort of hard skill sets should people kind of come into a real estate career knowing or expecting to learn right away? Um, it's a great people look at financial statements. You know, I, I, one of the things uh, I'll share this, one of the things that I do when I, when we're talking to a new potential partner, um, who, who might be a joint venture partner is that is I'll go and I'll, I'll walk, I'll walk their turf with them. Mm. And, uh, what I'm looking, what I'm looking for and what I'm listening for is that that person ought to be able to tell me a story about that community that they want to develop in. They ought to know what the dynamics are, who's building what, because, you know, you can look at CoStar, you could look at different, you could look at it physically, and you may not know who's purchased what and for what purpose and how often has it traded. Our partner needs to have that detailed knowledge about what's happening in a market. And I think that's an, an invaluable trait for an investor or developer to be able to understand what a market's what a market's dynamics are without it you're you're kind of lost and then second set after that would be what you're referencing is then be able to manipulate the projections and the the whole you know pro forma so that you understand how the how the inputs work but if you don't understand the dynamics of a market you can you'll totally miss (laughs) no matter how your 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 modeling skills are are you saying like real estate's still pretty local? It's still a local business. Yes, sir. Awesome. Yeah. Um, how does your real estate job have real estate slash job have impact? Just general. I mean, it's kind of a big. It's not kind of. It's a big question. But how do you like to see your place in the world as a real estate investor having impact? Yeah. Well, that's. Well, as I was saying earlier, our our work thus far has been to develop one of the largest, I think, one of the largest privately held um, impact-oriented real estate portfolios that I know of. And that's comprised of sustainable real estate, affordable workforce housing real estate, and, and real estate that's uh, well-positioned to support community growth, you know, and, and fill gaps in communities where the... the the fabric of the society has been sort of torn apart. So our, our thesis is that those kind of assets are going to appreciate faster than kind of conventional, poorly built, poorly conceived real estate. And so if and when the, uh, the client ever decides to sell some of these assets and they get a great multiple, um yeah. versus the competition that would be that would prove out you know the thesis that that i have as an investment but in the meantime these assets are are performing are performing very well on on a social scale and they'll produce 10 or 20 years of you know low carbon net zero energy type of uh 
type of production for uh, for the residents and for and for the investors. So uh, I think it's a win-win. Paul, you're a great guy. Um, I've met you in person. You are truly a nice guy. Uh, I love what you're doing right now with New Island. It sounds amazing. Um, so Paul Rabinovich, head of real estate and principal at New Island Capital Management. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Pleasure. This has been great. Uh, thank you for the time. It's it great to do this together.